Welcome to With Heart and Wonder. This is a place for us to explore heart-centered living and to celebrate what it means to live with wonder, with awe and appreciation for the possibilities that are within us and around us. I'm Megan Johnston, and I am truly so honored and excited that you are here. Let's dive in and journey together. You're listening to episode 14 of With Heart and Wonder. I'm Megan, and I, as always, am just so grateful to have your presence with me for this episode. I celebrated my 30th birthday last Thursday, and the idea for this week was actually to do sort of this reflective, themed episode around the decades that I have lived And just didn't really feel aligned, like that was maybe what needed to come forth today as I sat down, or or rather stood up, I always record standing, as I kind of set up to, to record that wasn't feeling in alignment. I think we'll still have that episode at a a later time. In many ways, some of my birthday celebrations were postponed, and so it feels aligned as well to kind of postpone that, that 30th birthday episode. What I wanted to talk about today, which feels really true and necessary for me right now is to talk about finding spaces and practices and rituals of rest. We're in this moment right now where there is a need really for self-care in addition to community care but a real need for, for nourishing and caring for ourselves in really layered and deep waves. And one of the things that I've been noticing in my own experience in my body and my heart and my mind is, is a real sense of disconnect over the last a few days for me, and and it was the long weekend, the Easter weekend, and combined with having the four days of the weekend off, I took my birthday on Thursday off. So it was five days where there wasn't too much structure for me in my day. I definitely still did a few workouts and got outside, but um, I really kind of let go of any structure and was letting myself sleep in a lot, take long naps, because I do think sleep is is really important for the our overall system, our whole self. And what I kind of noticed this morning um, was just this real, like, resistance to coming back into the routine and it it wasn't that surprising to me because I started to crash a little bit over the weekend and I started to just feel really heavy and I started to feel like I needed to initiate what I often call um, back to basics. And it's almost like this mode. It's almost like I visualize myself pressing a button to put a plan into action. 
But oftentimes in my life, I have these periods where I recognize within me this need to come into what I call back to basics. And back to basics can look different depending on what is happening. But for the most part, it really is about stripping away anything that can be stripped away and to focus on my basic needs. Basic needs like making sure that I'm sleeping enough, that I'm eating foods that are nourishing and um, giving me energy that feel good in my body, and that I am taking time to rest in addition to exercise. That often is there too, but it wasn't really one of the, the things that was calling to me this weekend. What I noticed the most was that I needed to really lean in to some of my rest practices that had fallen by the wayside. This idea of rest practices, I think, is really powerful, and it's one that we do not talk about enough. So let's talk about what I mean by a rest practice. A rest practice, kind of like it sounds, it, it maybe sounds really simple, is a, a time and a space with the intention where we are able to just be and maybe to start to slow things down so that we're really nourishing and providing space for our nervous system, for body, mind, and heart to unwind, to process, to be to enter that parasympathetic state, that state of rest and relaxation. Sometimes we, and I talk about this a lot, so you may have heard me talk about this before, but sometimes we equate things with rest that might be really nice and really pleasant, but might not actually be a rest for our nervous system. And some examples that I use often are if we're watching a TV show that is really suspenseful and um, where we're, we're really feeling the, the, our heart is racing, we're feeling empathy and concern for a character, we're processing everything that's happening in, in that show, we're not in a state of rest. We're in a state where physiologically we may actually be experiencing stress. And that's because our bodies and our minds don't differentiate between the stress that is real and the stress that is in our imagination. So if we're reading a really compelling book or if we're watching TV or watching a movie, some of those things that we equate sometimes with this idea of resting, that can actually be winding our nervous system up. And I'm sure we've all experienced that at some time or another with, with a scary movie or with something that is really suspenseful, even going to bed at night and still thinking about what happened on a TV show. There's this processing that has to happen. Um, I experience it a lot with books, and I love reading all sorts of books, but I do have, uh, when I'm feeling like I need an escape, I love a good historical fiction book. And I find often in the mystery and the intrigue, I can get really caught up in what's happening 
And I can feel in my own body that it is no longer uh, a place of rest. So I'm right now, actually, we'll, we'll add a little, a little side note here, looking for some books that are really feel good, not stressful. If you have any recommendations, do send those my way. So this idea of rest practice is really important. And I, when, the, when we started in self-isolation a month ago, when, when we got back from Dominican Republic and then everyone went into you know, um, social distancing, what I, we did from the very beginning is Erica and I sat down and we made a list and on a, a kind of intentions and commitments for the time that we were going to be, at that point, we, you know, were thinking we were just doing our, our two weeks of self-isolation. But we made a list of, of kind of commitments to ourselves really with this idea of taking care of our different layers. And on that list, there were things like making sure that we were working out, making sure that we were getting up and like establishing routines and eating well. Um, and it's kind of funny because I talk so much about rest in in my work and in my life. Um, but I honestly, I think I kind of just thought that that was going to naturally be a part of it and that I didn't really need to worry about incorporating in rest practices. What I found this past weekend, we we got into the Great Canadian Baking Show. I think that's what it's called. Now I I am not quite sure. <laughs> um, but we we watched about a season and a half over the long weekend. Um, and it was so much fun and it was like such a a nice escape and for the mind. It was exciting to see the creativity of the guests. If you haven't watched it, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's pretty heartwarming and feel good. But we were watching so much of this show and I was having my naps and I, um, I was reading a little bit and I just, I, with all of that, I, there was this kind of unease within me because I didn't feel grounded in myself, even with the working out and the sleeping and, you know, the baths and books. And I realized that I had been really unintentional with my rest practices. And so for me, resting looks like different things. And sleep can definitely be a form of replenishment. But in my kind of um, training and education and thinking about it, um, and it makes sense if you if you think about this for a moment, when we're sleeping, we are often processing so much physically, emotionally, energetically. Um, and one of the ways that we see this happen is in the form of dreams. When I wake up from a, a dream that is, is a little more tense and stressful, my heartbeat is going and I, my muscles are maybe sore from being contracted. And so the body has been in this state of more stress. In contrast, the idea with a rest practice is that we're just in this, this state of, of deep release, this state of, uh, that is very soft, that is very spacious, and where our body is able to be in that relaxation mode. 
So there's this this subtle difference between between the two. So I was really tuning in and noticing that I hadn't been doing a lot of restorative yoga. I had been doing moments of meditation, but it had been a while since I had really committed to my morning meditation practice. And I wasn't necessarily building in time to just be, to just sit in the bath without reading, but to just notice my breath, to be in my body, to and take this time to really connect inward instead of those more external distractions. And this is not to say that, you know, in the days to come, I'm going to stop watching TV or stop reading. But it's just that there was this moment of awareness that I, in order to bring myself back into balance, I needed to find ways to bring rest back into the equation and to make that part of my rhythm again. And so I wanted to talk a little bit today. I, there are so many different ways that we can tap into rest practices. And in our last episode, episode 13 with Megan Marie Gates, we talked about how sound can be a really beautiful way to calm the nervous system um, and to to kind of transport us into a state that is is more relaxed or creative or generative. And we also talked about, I shared with, with Megan Marie and with all of you that I often turn to restorative yoga as a way to um, to support the the clients that I work with one-on-one and to support students in terms of developing rest practices. And, and we talked about how sometimes those can be more easily accessible than meditation. But today I want to talk about meditation. And there's a few reasons for that which I'll share, but I want to talk about the power and the potency of starting or restarting a morning meditation practice. Because there are some people who, you know, have a beautiful and consistent morning meditation practice that maybe they've had for months or years, and that is sometimes decades even. Uh, I am not one of them. I very much ebb and flow through my morning meditation practice. It's always there for me when I need it, but there are are long stretches of time sometimes where, um, where that kind of falls away. And, and perhaps that's been the case for you too, or perhaps you've never tried one. So I wanted to talk about a few tips for starting a morning meditation practice and also to chat a little bit about why that might be helpful at this moment in time. So we'll start there. One of the reasons that I really love a morning meditation practice is because it's an opportunity to really intentionally choose how we start our day. I don't usually recommend doing restorative yoga 
first thing in the morning. Even though it can be a really calming and replenishing practice, it's usually not what the body needs right when we've woken up from sleep. And that restorative yoga practice tends to be a lot more powerful during the period after lunch, um, after we get home from work, so sometime in the afternoon or in the evening before we go to bed as a way to wind the body down before coming into sleep. It's not usually something we do first thing in the morning. So while meditation, I think, can sometimes feel more challenging, and one of the reasons that I love kind of these other practices that bring us into a meditative state, like sound, like restorative yoga, is because it is this opportunity, it's kind of like a sneaky backdoor to get the same effects without that same feeling of just sitting and noticing, which can feel a little bit intense and uncomfortable for us if that's not something that we're used to, or even if it is something that we're used to. But I think it's really powerful to start our day with a more simple morning meditation because it allows us to take stock of what is happening for us. It allows us to notice the thoughts that creep in when we're trying to to concentrate on this intention of meditation. It allows us to notice the speed of our thoughts. It allows us to notice our whole state in terms of our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual body. And it allows us to make this choice every time we choose to bring our focus back because the mind wanders, that's its nature. But every time we choose to bring our focus back, we are making that conscious choice, that commitment to ourselves. And to me, there is no better way to start the day then with this intentional commitment to ourselves that we are feeling in our whole body. So what does a morning meditation practice look like? If you've never tried one before, the idea is that it tends to be something that we're doing fairly quickly from the time that we wake up. So it might be the first thing that you do, Or you might kind of go grab a a cup of water, set yourself up, and then sit. But the idea is that we're doing it closer to when we wake up, early on in our day, as a way to set the tone and intention for the day to come. There are so many different techniques and types of meditation. If you've meditated with me before in group classes or in my online community meditations, I often in those settings teach meditations that are tapping into the different senses. So we do meditations that are more kinesthetic or more visual um, or we use words and mantra. But for a morning meditation, You can absolutely use any of those techniques, but I really like to keep it very simple and just to watch my breath. Every time the mind wanders, I just come back to my breath. One really easy technique that can help with that is not just paying attention to the inhale and the exhale, but paying attention to the little natural pause that happens at the top of the inhale and the bottom of the exhale. 
focusing on these little moments of pause can really help with presence because it disrupts that cyclical nature of breath. So I would inhale, pause, maybe linger, exhale, pause, and so forth. So let's go into some tips here. I'm going to share five tips to start or restart a morning meditation practice, which is, I didn't share this yet. I meant to be the first thing that I shared, but is what I did this morning. So the first step is to just do it. I actually knew that I needed to restart my morning meditation practice yesterday and it didn't happen for no good reason other than my own resistance to the the thing that I knew would support me. But this morning I knew when I woke up that this was a thing that, that I needed. And so I committed to just doing it. And that is honestly the, the hardest step for most of us. Second step, start small. It can be tempting to, to kind of um, do you know, 15, 20 minutes right off the bat. I actually find it is really helpful, especially if you're new or if it's been a long time since you've had a morning meditation practice, is to to start small, maybe even as small as five minutes. So depending on the season of life for me, I've definitely, when I've restarted this practice, I've started with five minutes. Today I started with 12 minutes. That's just what, what felt right for me. And what I do is... Every day, I, I increase the time a little bit. Or sometimes I wait a few days and then increase it. So it could be a few, a few days at five minutes and then a few days at seven or eight minutes. Um, and you can build up to there. I think kind of 20 minutes is a nice sweet spot, 15 to 20 minutes. The relaxation response kicks in between 10 and 15 minutes. Um, and so anywhere from 15 to 20, I think is a really nice space to be. But if that's not going to work for you, stick smaller. Yeah. The third tip is actually to make it work for you. So a little bit is better than nothing at all. I really want to encourage you, if this is something you're thinking about exploring, um, to, to let yourself think outside the box in terms of what this practice looks like for you. You might be envisioning yourself doing your morning meditation in, in this, you know, um, serene environment with candles and with all of these meditation cushions. And sometimes our, our, our expectation can get in the way of us actually starting. I know when I lead kind of intro to meditation workshops, everyone wants to know what cushion to buy or, or you know, how they should set themselves up. And to be honest, you really don't need a meditation cushion or anything special at all. I often sit on pillows and shove blankets under my knees for a little bit of support. So if you're thinking about making it work for you, it could honestly mean that you meditate um, in your car. It could mean that you go outside because that's where it's quiet and meditate standing up for a few minutes. If you're experiencing a lot of pain in your body, there is no rule that says you have to meditate seated. You could always meditate lying down or you could meditate in a chair. Um, if you are coming to sit down on the ground, I do recommend sitting up on something, like elevating the hips. It can be sitting on books. It could be a yoga block if you have one. It could be a few pillows stacked on top of each other and bringing something under the knees. Tip number four, 
Muscle memory is really powerful. And so as much as possible, and there is a little bit of of kind of tinkering to figure things out, but I recommend using the same position, the same type of meditation, and the same time of day. So it doesn't have to be that you do it 8 a.m. sharp every day or 6 a.m., but it could be kind of in thinking about your routine, you know, it's right when you get up or maybe it's after you've had your cup of tea um, or maybe there's another time of day in your morning that would work really well for you. But the more that we create um, a, a similar structure from day to day, there's two things that happen. The first is that it reduces our cognitive load of making decisions. So if you know that you always use the gray pillow and your, you know, cream blanket to to sit, um, you're creating a habit of just going to pick those things. You're not having to choose every morning which pillows, which blankets, where you're going to sit. I try and sit in the same spot every day, facing the same direction. And there's definitely arguments for switching it up later on, but when we're restarting a practice, having this kind of habit and being able to picture ourselves exactly as we will sit can be really powerful. The same thing with the same type of meditation. We're training the body and the mind to know what to expect. And actually what happens for most people is sometimes it's after a few days, sometimes it's after a week, you start to crave this meditation time. Your body is just excited to go and sit, where maybe before it felt like more of an effort. My last tip is as much as possible to make it a ritual. So Sometimes it can help, especially when we're trying something new that maybe is a little uncomfortable still, to pair it with things that do feel really comfortable. And so that could look like um, pairing it with, you know, your morning cup of coffee or tea, having that first. It could look like if you have any kind of instruments of sound, um, like singing bowls or chimes, um, it could look like before starting your meditation, finding a little bit of sound or even playing a song that feels really good for you, maybe one without words, but up to you. Um, it could look like if you are someone that has like affirmation cards or, or you might pick one after your meditation. I often will pick a card and I will set an intention for the day to come. And I'll repeat that sometimes one, sometimes three times as this thing to carry forward with me. So all of these tips can really help you create a sustainable meditation practice. I guess the last one, which I didn't include in the five, but is to not get discouraged if you miss a day. Or if you, and this this happens to even seasoned practitioners, if you, you know, are meditating one day and you just can't get into it. Sometimes when I am in a morning meditation practice, I will check the timer like six, seven, eight times during a 15-minute meditation because I'm really having trouble with presence and sinking in. I do recommend that you use a timer 
because this is a way just to, again, reduce that cognitive load and to know when, when your time has passed. The timer that I use and really like is called Insight Timer, and it is a more complicated, um, well, I shouldn't say complicated, it's a layered meditation app that has so much functionality, but one of the things is a simple timer, and you can set that timer for as long as you like, and there it actually has so many other features that you can explore, but the simple timer does the trick and is a really nice way to, to also track your progress. It'll track, um, how many days in a row that you've meditated, which can be a a really beautiful motivator. So those are some of my tips. If you have had a morning meditation practice before, um, if you've restarted a practice before and you have other tips, I'd love for you to share them and I'll be sure to share them online with others. If you are new to the idea of morning meditation and you have any questions or fears or worries that are coming up, do reach out to me. Let's chat about it. I am here to support you. The idea is that this can be a time for you that is going to ground and nourish you and set you up well for for the day with intention and with alignment, which is a really powerful place to be. So I as I mentioned, restarted my morning meditation practice today. It had been a few months and I'm on this journey with you. I'll share how it's how it's going as we carry on and I really would love to hear from you. If we're not connected already online, you can find me at Megan L. Johnston on Instagram or meganjohnston.com for my email and newsletter. And I'm so excited to continue this journey of finding ways to really be nourishing and supporting ourselves. Next week, we're going to have a really amazing guest, Jess Ekstrom, who has this really powerful message about optimism. And we're going to be talking about um, her book that she's written, Chasing the Bright Side. We're going to talk about how she integrates optimism into her life. And we're also going to talk about the upcoming virtual conference that she is hosting that is all about the future and thinking about ways that we can bring more optimism, hope, and creativity to the future. So that's the Virtual Bright Side Conference. I am a speaker for that conference, and you can get all of the info. Uh, it's on Instagram right now, but I'll put it on my website too um, if you'd like to sign up. They've just switched the model so that it is pay what you can, and it's also free for healthcare workers, students, and anyone who is struggling with income right now. I am so excited to connect again next week with you all and with Jess, and I am wishing you a truly beautiful week ahead. Keep living with heart and wonder. <laughs>